0: What's up Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrup and alongside me as always is Adam. The Hawks are going to the Eastern Conference Finals. Holy shit, Kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta Professional Sports, wacky ass hijinks, euphoria, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Woo! <laughs> woo woo! Graham! Cheers to the Atlanta
1: Hawks. Yeah, this, this is a celebration episode. It's the first time I've had uh, liquor during a podcast in a while, so things Uh-oh. might get loud. Yeah, take it easy. <laughs> um, it, it is a celebration, though, and it's unbelievable, Graham. Th- this team just has made, it's put Atlanta on its back. The city is fully embracing this team, and they keep surprising even the likes of me, who has watched this team all year and kind of knows what it's got going on. I even found myself doubting it some in this series and they always they keep proving us wrong and you just gotta love it you, you gotta absolutely love it like they, this team has no quit they have a drive about them that we don't often see out of Atlanta teams
0: they remind me a lot of the 91 Braves and we weren't really I mean, we were alive during that period but we were like one year you know we are like one years old so we don't really have a great sense of connection with that team despite what we've read and seen over the years but The resiliency, I've not seen an Atlanta sports team as resilient since the 91 Braves in terms of just being able to overcome adversity, come out of nowhere, take juggernauts down like it's no problem. I guess a juggernaut in Philly, at least supposedly they were. But the thing that's really impressed me most about this series is being down DeAndre Hunter, being down um, Cam Reddish, even though I know he was very up and down this year, but still he would have been a quality defender to have out there. And different guys stepping up every night. John Collins coming out of nowhere after having kind of a subpar early, uh, early games in the series minus game one, him being a defensive force, limiting Joel Embiid, Uh, Clint Capella playing solid defense, Kevin Herter being the game seven MVP after, you know, I think game five, he scored zero points. And then of course, Trey was great all series, even though Mm -hmm. the last game of the series, he didn't have his best game. He still did enough to put the Sixers away in the fourth quarter. And he was still distributing the ball very well. Um, so it was a complete team effort. Daniello Gallinari was an absolute hoss off the bench. Bogdanovich goes down too. He's pretty much not himself the last two games of the series. We I mean, still win the series. And Philly's pretty much at full strength minus Danny Green. And we know Embiid's meniscus was giving him issues, but he was still averaging well over a double-double throughout the entire series. So, I mean, this, this is the greatest win in Atlanta Hawks history, and this team deserves all the accolades that's getting. And we're not done
1: yet. Not done yet at all. I believe it was maybe it was before, right before the playoffs I went on a rare Adam rant where I was just getting real upset with like everyone only being interested in superstar teams and not looking at actual teams built you know with with chemistry and different moving parts to the to your point there where you can have a different guy step up every single night even if Trey Young, I mean, he shot awful in that last game. There's no doubt about it. Until the end, he got it going. But he's he's a quarterback. Even when he plays poorly, he's able to feed the rest of his teammates. And like I, w- I didn't think we'd have a chance without Bogey. And he was pretty much the last four games, not himself. But you have a guy like Kevin Hurd that can step up. You have a guy like Gallo that can step up. We had DeAndre Hunter who can step up. There's just so many pieces that can step up and win a game. And that's what makes us very tough to defend and you know with trey leading it a bit of a nightmare for opposing defenses and we still haven't played our a, a, a complete game no and that's we, what's crazy like we have not had a good shooting game since that game one really
0: yeah and that said even more about this how deep this team can dig is that they you know especially the last few games they i mean game six everyone didn't no one played well really except trey and we still almost pulled that out game seven we, we shot like Shit minus Herter and John. And we still pull that out. I tell you, one guy we haven't mentioned yet who also has contributed in a way I didn't foresee is uh, Nyeke Okongwu, the double O. Yes. My God. That's my Uh, boy. Some big dunks, some big blocks, big rebounds.
1: He's an energy guy.
0: Yeah, I think he got the most minutes he's ever played in this series in the last game. I think he played 15 or 16 minutes. Did a decent job against uh, Joel Embiid. That's all he can really do is do a decent job against him. The dude is otherworldly, as we talked about on the last show. But he's going to need to be uh, – I think he's going to get a lot more minutes in the next series because Milwaukee is also very long. You know, guys like Middleton, Giannis, um, P.J. Tucker, uh, these guys are very tough to contain in terms of – and Brooke Lopez. You know, they're such a huge lineup. They're a bigger lineup than Philly, and Philly already had a huge lineup. So it's going to be really important, I
1: think, for O
0: to continue to step up.
1: You know, all the haters early in the year, you can't, you can't give up on a young guy too early and like he's he's proved invaluable and I I think you're definitely right he's obviously earned McMillan's trust that he can go out there and defend you know a MVP and Joel Embiid so I'd imagine he's going to get some action on Giannis as well um I I mean I just love that he if he gets the ball in the paint he's dunking you know yeah there's no there's
0: no loser layup mentality with him, which we, is sometimes was frustrating from Capella's end, especially the games at home. It felt like he was just trying to lay the ball up. It's like, use your physicality, man. A Akongu, I haven't seen him ever try to lay the ball up. It's always a dunk.
1: Yeah, we, we, we've seen it with Capella a little bit. A big man trying to lay it up um, instead of throwing it down. We saw it with Embiid a ton. Uh, we obviously saw it with Ben Simmons. We'll get I think we'll get into him a little later. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, we we got to talk Philly basketball for a little bit for Philly, John. It's it's fascinating to me. I, that, that's what's great about you know being in the playoffs. First of all, is you and going seven games, getting multiple rounds. Is you get to like really dive into another team a lot more than you do during the regular season. And, and also, uh, I can't remember if it was Simmons or Embiid talking about it. How like there's probably Simmons because during the regular season, he can put up big numbers. But t- as you say all the time, people are not playing defense in the regular season like they are in a seven game series. Seven game series, every game, every quarter, every possession just has so much just angst to it. And like a good team, like a good playoff team, like our Atlanta Hawks, like, we did not see very many moments where they're not trying. They're not putting the energy out there like Philly had going. Uh, our body language was always aggressive, attacking. And, uh, you know, it's not going to be easy to get your points in the playoffs. Um, I can't remember where I was going with that point. But the point is, Okongwu, when he gets the ball of the paint, he's throwing it down. And one of the people
0: we can thank for Okongwu's emergence, I would imagine, is our god-emperor, Nate McMillan. But the, you know, the adjustments that McMillan made to doing his big lineup, Gallinari, Collins, Capella, really paid off. And Gallinari actually played some of the best defense he's played all season. A couple of steals in that last game, none bigger than that poke away from Embiid and then that breakaway dunk uh, that he converted on the other end with an assist from Herter. But you got to give it up for Coach McMillan for being able to say, okay, with Bogdanovich not being as effective, what do I do? You know, also putting in Lou Williams when he put in Lou Williams Lou Williams went off in that uh that game the game five the epic 26 point comeback
1: yeah game five was the yeah that was that was the 26 game four was the 18 point comeback right
0: and in all those games you just saw that the sixers were just out coached McMillan would make moves at the end of the game or during the game just to get the Hawks back into it the bench was invaluable in the series because our bench players outplay their bench players like crazy. George Hill did nothing. Dwight Howard had a couple of dunks, but was mostly a loser. Um, trying uh, Fibel was okay. Shake Milton was up and down. But I'm just saying, you got more consistent performances from our bench and bigger contributions from our bench than Philly ever did. And whenever Embiid was off the court, we, we seemed to take advantage of it. And Dr. Rivers couldn't adjust, and McMillan did. McMillan kept his guys locked in. You saw, we talked about this before, but the body language... On the Sixers. Even in the game the, the epic twenty-six point comeback, they were still up by fifteen. And when the when the bench unit leaves, the Philly bench unit leaves, they look like they lost the game. Oh yeah. Just because they only had a fifteen point lead now. And it didn't matter if we were down twenty-six or or by three or we were up by one or whatever. The Hawks just looked like they were just locked in the entire time. Even then they were getting their asses kicked and had no right to be even playing anymore. They were, they were still motivated and, and going full bore and trying to get back into the game, and they did. And the fact that we beat Philly three times on the road. Home court advantage did not matter in this series. This is one of the best NBA series I've watched in a long time. It wasn't just because the Hawks won, but it was just such a weird back-and-forth series, and home court advantage didn't matter. Both teams only won one home game. Bizarre. And McMillan deserves all the credit in the world for being able to pull this off to go back to Philly after losing that devastating game six and pull out the victory when you're not shooting well. And the only thing we could really do during the year to me to be effective was to shoot three pointers. We weren't doing it and we still won. Incredible. Incredible.
1: The the most Nate McMillan thing that I heard after that game seven thing, you're, you're right. I mean that when we lost game six, that to me was devastating. And I, I was, we're still in this Atlanta sports mindset as fans, we need to shake that off. Like this is this team d- does not have that look to it at all. But I was like, oh, we're gonna get blown out in game seven. Right, that's just, like, I figured. just like uh you know, what was that against Boston in two thousand eight? or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um but it's it's just a different thing, and Nate McMillan for the team, he had them pack for a six day road trip going to game seven, going to Philly. He's like, No, we're not we're not gonna pack for one day. That's loser mentality. We're packing to go to Milwaukee after Philly. And, you know, that is it's, it's a little thing, but it, I feel like coaching like that is just completely underrated, at least to fans, you know? Like, there was a great article uh, where John Collins was talking about McMillan and just how much of a different presence he's been over Lloyd Pierce. And he said he's kind of just got more of like a, a military style to him where there's just a lot more discipline and regimen and like to John Collins that really resonated with him it was like not not to just like shit on Lloyd Pierce but Lloyd Pierce just did things a different way and I think for a a young team it helps to have that discipline that Nate McMillan has instilled and then you know they still have fun but you know it's, it's just a great mixture of um the young guys with the veterans that they brought in this year um and, the, you know, just the fact that these guys, they don't have any playoff experience until right now. Um, well, the core doesn't. But I think guys like Gallinari, a lot of playoff
0: experience. Capella also has a lot of playoff experience. I think those guys were instrumental. I mean, did you see Gallinari at the end of Game 7 getting in everybody's face and just yeah. doing ape shit and being like, let's fucking go and let's let's finish this after yeah. McMillan finished talking? Like. And then you cut to the Philly bench, and it's just Doc Rivers just sitting there being like, "Yeah, whatever," and everyone's just looking dejected.
1: They, they all really did. Like Embiid was just bitching all the time. Ben Simmons just looks—I mean, obviously scared. They—they—they they, they call the—they're uh, calling it the pass already, yeah. where he had the wide open dunk, and he and he passed it to like a it's bench, a yeah, yeah, a bench player that was pretty much double teamed. It's like that's just not a killer mindset.
0: Imagine if he dunks that ball. What that does—that could have changed the entire game. I mean, Embiid brought that up in the post-game. He says, "I think that was the turning point." And uh, some people have complained, "Well, yeah, but Embiid also had eight turnovers." And Embiid, yeah, he he did kind of break down as the series went along. He wasn't as you know supreme as he was, even though he was still excellent. He still had 16 turnovers in the last two games. But that moment was so huge because then we just took any possible momentum that Philly could have possibly had at that moment. We we just we ripped it from their from their souls at that point. But McMillan, to go back to your point, I think also, yes, he has kind of that disciplinarian style, but he's not, it doesn't seem like he's a, approaches it in a kind of prick way like Lloyd Pierce was. We heard how Lloyd Pierce would rub people the wrong way, especially, you know, with Cam Reddish and John Collins, um, seemed like he did that from what the reports came out from The Athletic and all these other articles. But he, it seemed like he just treated everybody the same and Apparently he said something also too. It's like we got to be like a fist. We got to be together. When we're a fist, we can knock someone out. When we're, you know, when the fingers are apart and five fingers are apart and trying to do different things, then we can only slap somebody. We got to knock someone out. It's simple little motivational things like that that can just do a lot for the mindset of a player or for anybody in any organization, company, profession, whatever the hell you want to say, team, creative project. It doesn't matter. Just simple little things like that. I think go a long way in instilling confidence into players. It just simplified. Everybody wants to simplify things. And I think that really simplified a lot for the Hawks. It's not just saying all that stuff because then you got to back it up, but clearly he backed it up. Everything has worked. And a lot of people talked about how he wasn't a big adjustment guy in Indiana and other places. He's made tons of adjustments um, with this Hawks team. If he, if he didn't, we wouldn't be talking today about how the Hawks are playing the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, McMillan, um, it, it's... How, it's just incredible. I just words uh, escape me as to, to to give him the credit that he deserves. I don't think you can do him justice. He's this is one of the greatest coaching jobs I've ever seen in this city.
1: Yeah, I mean, see, like games one and two, Solomon Hills in the starting lineup that clearly wasn't working. He pushes Kevin Herder in there like you had asked for on right. the last podcast, mm-hmm. and then we get the freaking Kevin Herder game, game seven. Yeah, or like, like
0: that thing. Remember in the next series, the, the one game we lost where he didn't put Trey back in. Soon yeah, enough. remember when things started to go a little wonky in Game Seven, and Trey was only out for two minutes. Oh, he,
1: he called a timeout he called quick
0: because t- that was that was a thing too. It's like this happened multiple times in the series. Every time I was like, "We need a timeout." McMillan called a timeout, and he made an adjustment. And even if it didn't hundred percent work, it was the right move, and it definitely worked bringing Trey back in at that <laughs> moment, not to lose control of the game. I mean, Trey I think played forty three minutes that game.
1: And and let's I mean, McMillan gets a ton of credit. We're giving a lot of credit to more of the role players, but. This comes down to Trey Young. Like, Mm -hmm. he... No doubt. A superstar in Atlanta. And, like, it's just so fun to be able to compare him to Ben Simmons. Like, Ben Simmons, 6'10". He comes out, people are comparing him to Magic Johnson. A lot of LeBron comparisons, too. LeBron. Trey Young, 6'1", I believe. 6'1", on a good day. 6'1", on a good day. I've got two inches on Trey Young. Um... But he got he, about twenty pounds on Trey Young too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, he he just has like he embraces the hate like that. That's how we are winning these road games. He feeds off that. Man. Like he really does. He thrives off people just like shitting on him, and like that. That's what he lives for. And it's awesome. Like it's it, we don't get that around these parts, no. Graham. Like that. That's a guy that we pass up on in a draft. And draft a bust instead. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, we don't usually get a guy that can be a, a, a difference maker. And we're seeing what a superstar can bring to a to a franchise. We're seeing that. We're, we're, we're literally witnessing it right in front of our eyes right now.
1: And build a team around him. Yeah. And, man, if we get two more weeks of basketball potentially here, Graham.
0: Yeah, it's very... Um, it's very <laughs> exciting. And... I mean, also, I mean, another thing is if you look at what he's done in the playoffs. I mean, I know he's broken all these all these records and has been incredible. But if you really break it down, his first postseason playing in, against these storied franchises, as much as we, especially the Knicks, like the Knicks are a bunch of losers. But apparently, they're a storied franchise and they haven't won a championship since the seventies. But you know, he's averaged twenty nine points and ten assists per game. Now. He hasn't shot that well, and one thing I was really getting upset about in that um, in that game seven was he's taking too many shots, I thought, especially from three. I think he took like 12 threes in that game, and that's just, he doesn't need to be doing that. It felt a little bit like Old Trey, where he's trying to make too much happen, but, um, you know, the only real support he was getting offensively initially was from Herter, so it was kind of like he, I guess he needed to take that many shots, but... There were times in this last game, and he hasn't done this in the postseason that much, but where I really wanted him to slow down. I wanted him to move the ball around. There's a lot of stagnation on the offense in in Game 7. And Herter really bailed us out with him just taking Seth Curry to school uh, offensively. I didn't think we had as good of a game plan offensively as we had in, in prior games. And part of that was also the limitations to Bogdanovich. But I was a little frustrated with Trey in this game. I took too many shots. Thought he made some bad passes at times, but still he finishes with a double double in a bad game, and he makes the shots when absolutely, he absolutely had to make them. That mid range jumper he took when we were down 84 to 82 with about five minutes left it felt like Philly was starting to pull away. Huge yeah. shot. Yeah. The lob to Capella on the broken play. A a weaker, a mentally weak uh, weaker player would have would have flubbed that, but he gets the lob to Capella. Um, the step back three. He got separation, and it was a good shot. I felt like there are some times when he wasn't getting the separation, just jacking stuff up. He, he burned Simmons on that and yeah. you know deservedly made the shot. We are going to need better shooting if we're going to compete with Milwaukee, I think. But I'm still in the mode of lavishing praise. But still, Trey has been incredible during the playoffs overall. His worst game, he still gets a double-double, 21-10. and 10. And has averaged 29 points and 10 assists. Um,
1: and as you said... We, and we, shot
0: 87% from the, from the free throw line. A big thing in this in this series was our ability to make free throws and their ability to, their inability to make them. And outside of game six, which we missed like eight free throws or something. We kind of
1: lost it because of free throw shooting. Right, again. which is
0: very rare for us. We're normally a rare very good free trading. throw shooting team. But I just can't believe the mental composition of this team, especially Herder, after he gets fouled on that three near the end of the game by Fiebel and he smacked him on the head. Her just goes up and nails all three shots, just like it's uh practice, it's like at the end of practice, and we're shooting free throws. Yeah, that was a boneheaded Beautiful. foul on
1: Thiebel there, yeah. That, that's brutal. But but to go back to trade real quick, like you said, it was his worst game of the series. But nonetheless, even when he's not playing well, you can see how much better our team as a whole looks with him out there. Yes. That's why McMillan was so quick to call the timeout and get him back in there. Totally, like, he's is, he is the he's a quarterback, yeah.
0: He's just, yes, I agree. He's a straw that stirs the drink, and when he is able to move around and make things happen, our offenses can potentially be unstoppable. Um, I just felt like he was trying to take on the onus a little too much himself without getting others involved, it felt like, in parts of that that Game 7. But let's talk about Philly basketball, Adam, because they are a fascinating story. They really are. I'm
1: so excited about this.
0: Um, I started listening to, I think, 97.5 in Philly which was John Kincaid, The Fanatic. Day, the Fanatic, where John Kincaid from 680 went. He's actually got a really great show. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But he was on vacation. And the funniest part was he said, oh, I've got to take off my summer vacation. I'm not going to be taking vacation during the Eastern Conference finals and the finals because the Sixers <laughs> are obviously going to go. Oh, yeah. And so he wasn't there. So it was just like um, his sort of second-in-command and his third-in-command were kind of running the show. And they did a great job on, on the show. But it was so – I just lapped it up listening to them just complain about Philly basketball and how things are just so screwed up and how only Joel Embiid and Seth Curry are doing anything. What the hell has Ben Simmons? This process is just so done. It's dead. It's dead in the water.
1: Well, the process has been, what, like seven years?
0: Yeah, and the Hawks, and something that's been pointed out a lot by many people, but the Hawks have gotten to the Eastern Conference Finals twice in the last six years. Uh, and this has all happened during the process. We literally were able to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, tear it down, rebuild, and go back to the Eastern Conference Finals before Philly even made it there, which is just a colossal failure on the part of the 76ers organization. And, yeah, I mean, Ben Simmons is like a dead man in that city. They they despise him. They think he is public enemy number one is one of the biggest reasons why they lost. Um, You know, another thing was like Tobias Harris disappearing for a few games, and also, you know— we did get bailed out a little bit. Tobias Harris missed a lot of open shots. Ben Simmons was a non-factor. And Embiid was probably limited a little bit by his meniscus. But um, I think it also comes down just to mindset. And that was just something that, wasn't, that they didn't really talk about as much. But we, like we said, our body language, our poise was there the entire, every single game, and it wasn't for Philly ever. But, yeah, they're a fascinating story in having this amazing player in Joel Embiid. To me, he's like top five player in the league. The dude is an absolute beast. He can shoot the three. He can post you up. He can shoot a mid-range jumper. He's got. He's just a smooth player for being seven seven feet tall. But they have not built effectively around him.
1: Well, it's. I, I mean, they had what like four number one overall, or four at least four top five picks in this process. And so it's Simmons and Embiid were the two number ones overalls. And then you had like Fultz. Fultz. So they traded to the Magic, who, who was a bust. But and yeah. then uh, obviously a lot better once he leaves Philly. I think Philly's just such a tough place to play. Like he got better when he went to but Orlando, but he still
0: wasn't a number one overall. But,
1: but yeah, yeah. So a miss, and they—I they, know they—they they could have had uh, Booker out in Phoenix. Yes. They could have had Tatum, the star at Boston. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I. So I think I'm so fascinated by the Philly story because it is the Atlanta story. Yeah, it's it's Chris Paul. It's uh, you know, it's Marvin Williams over Chris Paul. Right. It's you know, surely there's there's other examples a lot more that examples than of. that but yeah. that's, that's that's the, the one that one. always comes back um but you know I I appreciate a city I feel like Atlanta and Philly are pretty similar in a lot of ways mm. I feel like we're we're kind of working man cities we're we're not New York we're not LA no um we don't win many championships we have one they have we have like 1 3 Oh, they have the Flyers. We don't We do not do hockey. I'm well, sure. I'm just saying they had the Flyers, the Phillies won. What, the oh, NBA. yeah. They had the and run then, with and Chase the, And the Eagles won Super so Bowl. So, they, I think they have three or
0: four championships. They
1: definitely have more championships than us. But a lot of losing.
0: Yeah. And they've, like, think about the Eagles back in um, the Donovan McNabb era. Right? Where they lose, um, I can't think of football divisions right now. I don't remember, football conferences. NFC East. NFC East. The NFC East, but they go to the NFC championship there you go. four times in a row and they they lost every time with the exception of playing the Falcons, Michael Vick's Falcons and the uh Yeah and, and the penultimate game and they finally got over the hurdle, but then they still lost. So it's like, yeah, they've gone through a lot of heartbreak over the years. And another thing I love before we talk more about Philly is that Philly kicks our ass constantly. Like, every time the Falcons go to play the Eagles at Philly, we lose. They've beaten us three times in the playoffs. Falcons, Eagles, going back to like two thousand two, um, the Phillies beat us in ninety three in the playoffs. The list goes on. I mean, they, they just they crush us. So it was very, it, was, it, was, it was very vindicating to to beat a Philly team in the playoffs, especially at their home.
1: Um, there's a little retribution there. So and it was just a brutal, I mean, brutal way for them to lose. Like oh my god, eighteen yeah. point comeback, twenty four point comeback, back to losing back, losing at three games at home is just that's terrible, especially for a team that only lost what seven games. All we, year? I saw, like, uh, 30, home. 33% of their home losses came against the Hawks in the playoffs this year.
0: They're a great home team. That's why I thought, once, we, especially going back to Game 7, I was like, I just don't see us winning. Like, it, it was, once again, that old Atlanta mentality, but
1: this team... We gotta get over that. I was, like, just feeling negative. Like, I was watching the game. I was into it. Oh, this is good. It's a close game still. And, like, I was doing that for, like, the first three quarters, just not allowing myself... To get too excited, and it really wasn't. And I, I kept getting pretty pumped for Red Velvet, though. Oh, he was just like when, when he would just keep making those post ups. The
0: biggest shot he made to me was when he, um, when he crossed over Tobias Harris into the step back three, with yeah. like five seconds left on the shot clock. That was that was like vintage JJ Redick. That was like a Steph Curry move. That was beautiful.
1: The kid's are stud. I mean, and and that's. But to, to to finish the point on the game, it wasn't until that gallow steal and dunk that I like allowed myself to like, you know, get up, do a big scream, Yeah, same. say, Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, bop, 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 bop. Just real really into it. Um But yeah, I mean that that was just that was a hell of a night, Graham. It was a hell of a I'm- night, hell of a game. Uh so so proud of those guys. And, you know, I loved at the end of all of that. You know, as excited as the city of Atlanta was, as sad as the city of Philly was, most of the press conferences, like, the boys were still pretty level-headed. Yeah. Because it's not over. No. This this isn't, it's not their goal to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. They have a
0: championship mentality. Yes. You cannot, no matter what happens, no matter how healthy we are or unhealthy we are, you can't count the Hawks out. I'm not saying they're going to beat Milwaukee. They're going to give them everything they got. There's
1: no reason we cannot beat Milwaukee.
0: No, and the thing about that's We're interesting— We just beat the number one seed. Well, What's interesting about Milwaukee is that they, in game seven, I think they only played six people. We are deeper than they are. We are definitely deeper than they are. They don't shoot the three as well as Philly. One thing that was frustrating to me in this Philly series was we, would, we started doing this thing where we double and bead, but unfortunately when we did that, we would leave Seth Curry open and he would just kill us. Seth Curry, that guy's money. Seth, without Seth Curry, this, this series would not have gone to seven games. He instigated the comeback in Game Six for Philly. He was clutch all all series long. I think he made like twenty five threes in this, or something insane like that in the series. He was he was he was the second best player for Philly. A guy who was normally on the bench in favor of Danny Green because Danny Green got hurt in in Game One. So that's the thing that's crazy to me is that Philly. Just to go back to Philly, I know we're kind of all over the place here, but go back to Philly. They're paying Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris thirty million dollars a year for that performance. Particularly from Ben Simmons, is just so unfathomably bad that that's what you get from from. That's the value you're getting from thirty plus million dollars. And Joel Embiid's the, only the, like the third highest paid player on the team. I think Harris is the, the top paid player on the team. It's incredible. Just this colossal failure. We are the Cardinals from 2019, and they were the Braves in 2019. Everything was shaping up for us to just kick ass. And we just shit the bed. And they shit the bed, but we still took advantage of that and won. We definitely won that series. It certainly, Philly, you can say they collapsed. And they were playing better, it felt like, the majority of the early parts of the series. But we really, really stepped up our game as the series went on, after that Game 1. Because Game 1 felt like a classic Hawks game, but after that it was like... You've got to become something. you got to evolve and become something else because what you're great at doesn't work. Yep. That's a testament to Nate McMillan and the entire
1: roster. And they did it. Yeah. They're bought in. Yeah. Do you want to talk about this uh, Bucks series a little bit, Greg? Yeah,
0: let's talk about the Bucks series because, yeah, like I was saying, I think we are deeper than Milwaukee. And Giannis is not a good three point shooter. Everybody talks about how great Giannis is, and he is. Great rebounder, solid passer, incredible scorer. The issue I think that we're going to have with Giannis is. He's so good at getting to the paint and finishing. He's so aggressive and he's so lengthy. So it's going to be really hard to stop him. And I wonder if McMillan's going to change up and maybe do a zone, maybe a 2-3 zone, because they're not a great three-point shooting team. They don't have as many shooters as Philly does. Will we try a 2-3 zone against Milwaukee to try to limit the ability for Giannis to penetrate to the basket and force them to take threes? So that we can get rebounds and get into our transition offense, I, I think that's probably maybe one of the
1: first things to try against Milwaukee. Hell if I know, Graham. I'm not a defensive uh, set guy, personally. Well, but the two-three two, zone, right? You understand what that is? I understand okay. what it is. Right. Yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm not gonna like sit here and bullshit our uh, right our, our user base. Understood. But but Giannis shoots like
0: under. 30% from three. He's not a great three-point shooter. you got to force them to take threes.
1: But Collison's solid out there. Oh, Connaughton, yeah. Collison and Middleton.
0: Yes. They're, but they're still collectively not, not great.
1: Right. Yeah, no, they're more of a defensive team.
0: Yeah, there's no Seth Curry, for example. There's no guy out there where you're like, oh, God, that's a sniper. They don't have gotta, Farquhar, or what was that guy's uh, name? I was gonna call him Charizard. Uh, <laughs> that <laughs> of pissed me off a lot. God, he was Corkmaz. Uh, Corkmaz. <laughs> I think it's Corkmaz, but I call him Corkmaz because yeah. I'm a southerner.
1: No, he he was frustrating.
0: Yeah, but he kind of faded down the stretch a little bit for he, Philly. He but. did.
1: He did. But um, but my, yeah. my, my only thoughts are, mm-hmm. I mean, a, you know, regular seasons aside, we just beat a one. Now we're now we're playing a three mm-hmm. with two superstars, uh, in Embiid. And now Giannis. So, like, if, if we, we were able to figure... we were able to slow down and beat, at least. I don't know about his meniscus. That is what it is. But the fact, like you said, that Giannis can't go out and shoot the threes, it, it opens things up. And, well, yeah. I, and I, I do agree with you that Anyeka, who has earned the trust of McMillan, might be a bigger factor in this.
0: Yeah, and I think going to that big lineup of, of Gallinari... I'm not saying start Gallinari, but I'm saying going in the big lineup of Gallinari, Collins, and Capella is going to be critical. And the one thing we got to watch out for, like Embiid didn't really drive to the paint that much in this series. He had a couple of times he did a monster dunk. He had a monster dunk in game seven and stuff like that. But he was either going to back you down into a fadeaway or post you up or take the three. Giannis will immediately go into the paint. So one thing we're going to have to be very careful about is foul trouble because this guy is so explosive and so lengthy and bulky that if we're not careful Capella could get into foul trouble fast and if that happens we're in trouble so I wonder if we're going to try and do you know maybe a guy who can move a little more horizontal, horizontally and John Collins sticking him on um, Giannis initially or maybe playing uh, a kongo a little more but it's going to be critical to keep him out of the paint Got to keep Giannis out of the paint. If he gets in there, we will get into foul trouble. Because
1: they have, what, Brooke Lopez, too? Brooke Lopez also. Brooke Lopez might be on Capella a lot. Yes, Capella is going to have to... The
0: problem also with Brooke Lopez, though, is in his later career, which is the stage that he's in right now, is that he loves shooting three-pointers. And we know Mike Boldenholzer, his system hasn't changed in Milwaukee. For those that don't remember, Mike Boldenholzer coached us, the initial greatest Hawks team of all time, to the Eastern Conference Finals. And how did we get there? passing passing a lot and shooting threes. They are great at moving the ball and great at um sw- you know making defenders switch to the point that someone is left open for for a three pointer. Ironically though they're not great at shooting the three. So how we attack them in this series is we we got to force them to shoot the three and, and stay in our zones I think and and keep, try to limit Giannis from getting to the paint too often. Cuz he's going to destroy us if he does that.
1: Not a great free throw shooter though, right?
0: he's you know he's not Embiid but he's you know he's not Ben Simmons you know where he's the worst free throw shooter of all time in the playoffs or anything he's a solid free throw I think he's like
1: a 60% guy
0: something like that like it's not great but he's not you know probably won't kill you I don't think you're going to do a hack of Giannis in this like we do with hack of Ben Um, you know Middleton's a very solid solid player I'm really interested in seeing how our bench lines up because their bench is not deep at all Jeff Teague is on their team
1: Oh, yeah. Our no, old friend. Jeff Teague doesn't play either. Like, that, that guy's yeah, just he's dropped he's, off completely. He's pretty much out of the rotation. Yeah.
0: Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I like our chances in the sense of if we can... I feel like it's going to be very similar to Embiid where Giannis is going to get his. The issue, though, is when Embiid got his, it was, you know, it was on jumpers and, and um, getting to the line and things like that, but... With Giannis, it's going to be I'm going to just blow right by you and get really high percentage shots. And that's the thing that scares me the most in this series. We're going to have to figure out a way to composite our defense, either with a 2-3 zone or some other sort of kind of weird thing that McMillan can draw up that can that can limit him. It's just going to be we, – we can only hope to contain him. He's going to get his, but we just can't let him go off the way Brooklyn you gotta, let him go
1: off. you got to think, though, man. And, of course, the national media is doing the same shit they did for the Knicks and the 76ers. Everyone's picking the Bucks. Yeah. The Bucks barely beat the Nets, who were down two superstars. And that's their entire roster, basically. Right. But they also still had Durant. Right. Yeah. Okay. That, that's their entire team. One yeah. guy. Right. Like, it was Durant and Joe Harris. Yeah. And then, I mean, they've got, like, Blake Griffin. But, like, he's a shell of what he was. Like, it's like... I th- I feel like we're being overlooked again, which is fine with me. No, I like I'm, we're we're eight nine deep. Keep that underdog mentality. And they, um, you know, they they were down what three one, came back to win. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they they snuck past the Nets for sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I I feel pretty
0: confident. I feel decent. I think there's gonna have, someone's gonna have to step up that we're not expecting, and the guy that comes to mind immediately is Snell. Tony Snell, <laughs> you laugh at me now. I know he was he was a joke in um, the Sixers series. He didn't even play like the last what four games or something. But with Bogdanovich being hurt and being limited, we need three point shooting. The Bucks don't have as many mental midgets as 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 Philadelphia does, and we have to get back, I think, a little bit to play in our game, and we need three point shooters. And pretty much the only guy I trust right now to make a three is Gallinari and Herter. Snell, I think with Bogdanovich Hurt, got to try and get him going. He was very effective shooting three-pointer all season. I would like, and he's, he's a liability offensively for sure, or defensively for sure. But if we can get him shooting again, he can come up with three, three-pointers a game to help us out. I mean, we, we need more shooting in the series. I don't think we're going to survive shooting the way we've done the last, like, three or four games. If we keep doing that. I mean, we could. It's possible. But, you know, it's a different team, you know? Sure. So, I don't know. Is there anyone that you can think of that you're looking to see step up a little bit more?
1: Uh, You know, I mean, I, I foresee pretty much what we saw in the last series, where it's a different guy every game. Mm. I bet we get another... Kevin Herter game. We get another Lou Williams game. We get a Gallinari game. Um, Trey's shoulder is a concern. Trey's shoulder. We haven't talked about that. that at that's all. definitely a concern. Trey, and he said, that, in his and that po- led to like yeah. his, his poor shooting in Game Seven.
0: He said that too in his post game that his shoulder was giving out. Which, when you when I heard him say that, I was like, oh Jesus.
1: And so it's fortunate that it, we we've had. I mean, it'll be two full days of rest, right, uh, going into this game Wednesday, but. You know, I, you, you could. I mean, I'm, I'm a Tony Snell guy. It could happen. I trust him over Solomon Hill. Um, Hill just provides nothing on either side of the court. It feels like he's okay defensively. Yeah, at best. Like uh, at least
0: with Snell, you got a, a chance for a three pointer. I don't
1: know. Yeah, he he just hasn't gotten it, and he's gotten a few opportunities in the playoffs and just hasn't been able to get it hitting. But, no, um,
0: no. And and maybe you don't go back to him at this point. That's just, that's kind of like the wild card thing I'm playing right now. I mean, okay. Okongwu
1: is the ultimate wild card.
0: Okongwu, I think is going to get a lot more action this series. If game seven is any indication, Okongwu is going to get a lot more minutes than, than we're probably thinking right now. Not to say he's going to supplant Capella or anything like that, but let's say Capella goes, I, I foresee Capella getting into foul trouble at least in one or two of these games. That happens. A is going to have to step up, and I think even if he doesn't, even if Capella doesn't get in foul trouble, a is going to have to step up. You might have to get him out there at the same time as Capella. I don't know. It's going to be a weird series in terms of matching up with these guys. It feels like every person in their lineup is 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 really tall, except for Drew Holiday, which is another person we haven't talked about yet, who's apparently very good. is a very good defender, and has the ability to um, you know shut down a lot of speedy point guards like Trey, but I think Trey's speed is so elite that I don't think there's a defender in the league that can that can really shut Trey down. But I'll be interested to see how Boldenholder uses Drew Holiday to try to limit him from creating um, creating opportunities for the rest of the offense. Because we we, we we saw in the Philly series when they trapped Trey, things started to, you know, turn south a little bit at times. We've got to be able to get out of double teams better. People need to go up and help Trey, which wasn't happening enough, I felt like, in the Philly series when he was getting double teamed.
1: Yeah, so Drew Holiday might be a good defender, but I feel like he's probably not better than Ben Simmons. And obviously, I haven't watched a lot of Bucs games. No. I as, I, as I've made it clear, but like, I see no reason to be more scared of the Bucs than the Sixers.
0: Right. I mean, I think, once again, yeah, you like you were saying earlier, they both have superstars in Embiid and Giannis, and it's all about taking their best punch and seeing if you can
1: get up and answer. And, they the Haw- have,
0: and the Hawks have gotten up and answered.
1: And they have all the pressure on them. With, yeah. Like Coach Bud, he could be done with them. If- they should have
0: been done. They should have lost that game seven. Yeah. I mean, it could be a very different conversation we're having right now in terms of we gonna be talking about Brooklyn. I mean, that game seven came down to the wire. So I would love to just beat the shit out of Boldenholzer for leaving us. Would love that. Yeah, it would
1: be great. I mean, he left because he didn't want to be part of the rebuild. Right, and he damned
0: the team by signing Dwight Howard as our big superstar. I couldn't stand Dwight Howard that whole series. Um I was happy anytime he came in. But it was like any time he got like an alley oop or anything, which I think only two or three times, he was acting like he was, you know, cock of the walk when he was cock of nothing. It was just like, Come on, man, re reevaluate yourself. You're a glorified bench player at this point. That, yeah, that's all he is. I I don't know where we're going with this but yeah, I mean this series is going to be fascinating once again, it has to be road warriors I cannot imagine Milwaukee, despite it being an Eastern Conference Finals, will be as hostile as Philly or New York and I'm sure it will be hostile and Trey's going to feed off that. I think the biggest question in this series for me, like you were saying earlier, is Trey's shoulder going to hold up enough for him to be effective and bogey's knee Bogie's knee, I'm already I've kind of resigned to the fact that he's he's just sort of done. Because once again, they, they talked about it today, how Bogie's gonna be a game time decision. So he'll probably play but probably be um limited again. I mean we just saw he wasn't getting any lift on his on his three point shot the last couple games. Trey's shoulder though, gotta hope that thing is is okay. And what was really fascinating to me is that McMillan said he had no idea Trey was Trey's shoulder was, was messed up until he saw him with that, whatever that thing was on his shoulder. Not even a cast. I don't know what it was. That The, the black tape.
1: Probably, oh. Athletic tape.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. He was like, what, what's that? You know, I mean, so that, that was interesting to me how that wasn't, uh, information wasn't imparted to him.
1: But that doesn't really matter. It's just, it's more about like, will his shoulder hold up or not? Sure. Sure. We'll find out, Graham, shortly. Yeah. Stoked about the series. Yeah. We're
0: yep. good.
1: We're going to be doing our Atlanta zone, um, not Atlanta zone. Uh, you know, vacation. Yes, we'll we'll be at the beach mm-hmm. watching these games, which it doesn't bode great for us because we watch Game Six together. Maybe we'll go separate places. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll go separate someone, places.
0: Someone stays at the the beach house. Someone goes to a bar. Yeah, that might be the way to go. Oh, we'll, we'll see how Game One goes. All right. Um, well, we are watching game one uh, uh, apart from each other, sure, so sure, yeah. sure. I'm sure we'll win by 30 points, and then we'll watch game two together, and we'll lose by 30 points. And then we'll know what we've got to do right. for game it's three. The, yeah, okay, fine. That'll be simple. Yeah, because we, we have such an effect on what happens. But do you have... Yeah, right. I know you don't have a prediction.
1: I'm, I'm not going to make a prediction again, okay. but I feel very confident.
0: Do you think it goes at least six games?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's going six or seven games.
0: I say Hawks in seven. Like I said, the last series. Although to sort of an asterisk behind that, I said if Embiid is is not playing then um Hawks and seven. Or not playing but not effective Hawks and seven. And if he was then Philly and six. So I was I was technically wrong. Yeah. I can't really have two predictions. But no. I'm just gonna say Hawks and seven. Okay, nice. And even if that damns us, then whatever.
1: I'm I'm shooting my shot like Trey Young. There you go. All right, Graham. You ready to talk about our Atlanta Braves?
0: Yes, I am. I'm very ready. You know what? One thing, even though the Braves' season has been very tough so far, it's like don't be a fair weather bitch. You know, still follow the team, still support the team. So let's
1: get into it. You, you gotta keep, gotta keep watching. But damn it, Graham, we did it again. We, we were feeling all good about ourselves after getting back to 500 again. You know, we beat. Trevor Bauer. Oh, yeah, the Dodgers. Dodgers Won two out of three. We were very positive about the Braves after the last show. remember I
0: said, watch us lose fucking four games in a row. And
1: you know what we did, Grant? We, we, We sure enough lost four games in a row. Actually, because we won the first game against Philly. Right. And then we're feeling great about ourselves. Yeah. And then we get... The most brutal loss. This was the... Two. Two back-to-back walk-off losses. Will, one-nothing game. Going to the ninth. Will Smith gives up a two-run homer. And then we're up three to one in the tenth inning. Looks like we're going to win like our first ever extra innings game. And Chris Martin, who everyone's raving about, comes in and just is horseshit, And blows that game against Philly. And then that just starts another spiral. Yeah, lose a couple against the Marlins till we finally win the last one, and two brutal losses in Boston, ten to eight, both games. Bullpen blows them both. That's the most frustrating thing when you look at the Braves. The offensive
0: stats—they're like eighth overall in OPS in baseball. Their offense, like they hit the second most home runs. You look at like the big stats, and they're pretty decent for the offense, despite Marcelo Zuna being an asshole and not playing anymore, and also having an underwhelming season. And then you look at the pitching staff, and the bullpen is like the fourth worst bullpen in baseball. And the team ERA is like 20th or 25th or something like that. It's just the whole thing comes down to, even though the offense, yes, should do a better job overall in maybe clutch situations and some other statistics, the pitching's just been bad. And it's a continued theme throughout the the season. And once again, the bullpen blows games. Like, if you score eight runs, you should win. It's ridiculous.
1: Right, but... We've been saying this all year about this damn team. It's like, yes, we have games where we score eight runs and lose, but then we'll have games where the pitching's actually really good and the offense, it's just not connecting at the same time. but
0: you have to admit that the offense has been better than the pitching staff this year. Overall, yeah. The the brunt of the blame is on the bullpen.
1: Yeah, I mean, you you can put it on all three facets still. I I think the starters overall have been a lot better recently, Um, but it's just this damn bullpen. Terrible. Luke Jackson is your best bullpen reliever. Well, he's one of the best bullpen relievers in the game. Right? I know. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm going to lose that $5 bet. I'm
1: not paying you until July comes around. And I'm <laughs> finally ready to shit on Snicker and his bullpen usage. Oh, a bit. my God. This is a day that will be long
0: remembered. If you thought the Braves' second was going to be a throwaway, it's not. This is a big deal.
1: This is based off this doubleheader against the Mets yesterday. This was frustrating, yeah. And, yeah, maybe the day before, too. So, game one, Kyle Muller. Majorly debut. Uh, right. he, nah, he, he pitched in relief last week. But this, this was is his first starter. start, yeah, right, yeah. yeah, And he did really well. Mm-hmm. He gets pulled after four innings, giving up one run off a wild pitch. Which, I can understand the rationale for pulling him. It's a seven-inning game. And uh, we had two runners on, a chance to score... Against Degrom, brought in Panda. You can you can rationalize that. You know what? Bef- yeah, before you go on, the, the most frustrating thing about that was Kevin
0: Smith comes up. It's a ground rule double when a guy on first, but it would easily have scored. I yeah. think it was Heredia was yeah. on first base, and then second and third, and then Panda comes up, and you're expecting a professional at bat, and he swings at a pitch inside and pops a first pitch. I cannot stand this first pitch swinging. We have such bad approach at the plate. It's just it drives me nuts.
1: Yeah, Panda in general has kind of been going downhill a little bit here. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't expect him to get a pinch at home
0: run every time he comes up, but he hasn't shown much since that game we went to. Um, I think the only game we've gone to this year, the the, the Philly, uh the epic Philly comeback.
1: But Anyways, continue. But anyways, so Mueller goes four innings, bring in Shane Green, who is still struggling to get his legs under him. Woof. After coming into the game, uh, coming into the season late. So he gets... Um, He's not getting shelled. It's always like he hit a batter, a couple C&I singles. He gets an out, two outs in the inning, bases loaded. Who comes in in that situation, Graham?
0: Uh, Let's see. Also, let's say um, a lefty that hits lefties at a 290 clip. Let's bring in Sean Newcomb, Adam. That makes sense.
1: Yes, Sean Newcomb. So the whole world's assuming he's going to walk in a run. And this is a great time to bring in Luke Jackson, by the way.
0: Hell yeah, he's only hitting 230 against uh, right-handers.
1: But that doesn't happen. So he brings in Newcomb and predictably Newcomb gives up a bases clearing double after uh getting to two strikes. So that, that,
0: that was one of the worst examples of old school baseball manager I've ever seen. It's like, yes, normally lefty on lefty's fine. But one you have to consider Newcomb sucks this year. And two, this guy hits lefties at a two ninety clip. Yeah. So you should say, Don't bring in Newcomb in this situation.
1: And even if you're gonna bring in a lefty, bring in like your better lefty and Mastic, but he brought him in the day before, in a nine-one game that doesn't make against any sense. St. Louis, makes no sense. So I, I can't justify that. Terrible. And then game two, it's a one-nothing game, and uh, Ian Anderson looked really good, which was good to see because he's kind of been struggling for a little while. And then he gives up one hit in the sixth inning, and gets taken out. And AJ Minter comes in, who has also been really bad his last few starts. I tell you,
0: yeah, that guy's just not—he's not hitting it right now. And I think he's been. I think he just got run to the ground. So
1: we lucked out on that one because the Mets just like ran into outs. Um, there was a ground ball to the shortstop. Jose Peraza from the Mets is on second. Runs into an out at third, and then AJ Minter picks off the guy at first. So that one worked out. But it's like, what are you, what are you doing, dude? Like, wh- why, my- why are we us- utilizing? Matzik and Luke Jackson in games that don't matter and bring it, like, continue to trust Sean Newcomb. I'm, I'm, what is the rationale? I don't How know. How do we explain it? I can't. And
0: it's another thing, too, with Snitker. Also, I mean, we have to mention this at least, you know, a little bit. But the whole thing with Snitker getting angry at Acuna for trying to steal third in one of those Boston games, which, we, which he shouldn't have done.
1: Well, it wasn't stealing third. It was trying to... Or, sorry, extend
0: in. extend a uh, a double into a triple, which he shouldn't have done. And Acuna admitted it was stupid, but to publicly call out your best player, who also went like three for five in that game, um, with a couple of RBIs and, and doubles and whatnot, and say that he's pretty much an idiot in front of the media, when he's never called out the bullpen for not doing their job and saying, you know, just ambiguously, guys have to do their job. He's never said. Why did Newcomb throw that hanging curveball there or something? Like, he's never, like, it's just really, it's one thing Bobby Cox never did. He never called out anyone in front of the media.
1: And Snicker never really has. Until I think then. he was just pissed off. Oh, yeah. Like, they, I mean, about about in general. So the, there was a lot of Braves Twitter was going crazy about that one because he didn't do the same thing for Dansby Swanson two weeks ago. Two weeks ago is a different situation. Like, we're at that point in time when that happened with Snicker, A, like, we had just lost that game. I mean the the rationale for trying to turn a double into a triple in the ninth inning when you're down two runs. It's inexcusable. No, to it's do stupid. That. Like yeah. and, and and Acuna Pe- it, he'll do this every now and then. Yeah. People but, acting like Acuna did no wrong are idiots.
0: But Acuna I mean, I still don't think Snicker should have gone as post tournaments. No,
1: and I, I certainly disagree with Snicker doing that and I'm sure he regretted it afterwards, but it's yeah. like your team's seven and a half games out now. Like when the Dansby thing happened, it's A like- it wasn't the ninth inning. And no, was May and B, we were like two games back. Right. So like the frustration that we're starting to feel as fans now, it's got to be triple on them. So I'm sure he regrets that. Um, but also, it doesn't look like it's held Acuna down. Like we, he wins two ball games for us. Yeah. Um, shortly after that, one nothing win on Sunday
0: night, one nothing win on Monday night in the second part of the doubleheader, both on Acuna solo home runs. Well, the guy's having
1: a phenomenal year. I hope we don't waste it. But for people to act like Snitker. Doesn't care about Acuna like it's ridiculous. You kidding me? Like he yeah. loves that yeah. kid. Are trying to bring a, so much? Yeah, I mean, it's, or br- it's, bring make bringing race into it. That's stupid. I
0: mean, Snicker has defended Acuna time and time again, especially when Acuna was getting hit constantly by the Marlins. I mean, he was literally about to break physically down. Defended, it. Him. Yeah. yeah, yeah, physically defend him and defend him in the press and said, you know, broke down in tears. Said, I love that him. kid. Yeah. So I mean, if you don't think Snicker loves Acuna, then you're an idiot. I mean, the evidence is there for you. So all these. People getting off on all this race—it's just ridiculous to me. I think, yeah, I think it was just a, a temper boiling over kind of thing. Just of of the combined effect, the cumulative effect of, God, this has been a frustrating season.
1: And if that—I mean, you got to think—it's—it's it's crazy how they do these interviews in sports right after the game. Like, you got about ten minutes to cool you, down. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's, that's that's nothing. Yeah. Like, and that—that's got to be just such a frustrating play for a guy like Snicker, where like you know it was our last chance. But you got to give your MVP a chance to tie that up. Yeah, and Freddie Freeman coming up there, right? Um, being aggressive in that situation does nothing for you. No, we're no better off if he's at third base no. than at second.
0: This is a big series against the Mets that continues tonight. The night we're recording this, and where are we? Seven, seven and a half, six games back. Something. No, like
1: that? we got up to five and a half with the five one and nothing win last okay. night.
0: Yeah, so it's a four game series, I believe. Correct.
1: That's correct, Ram. Four-game series.
0: Right. So you want to try and split the series at a minimum. If you lose the next two games, then you're back to seven games behind them. And then, I don't know when the, la- the next time we play the Mets is, but the problem with the Braves has been this year is that we haven't competed well against the division. I mean, there's a number of problems. The problems are numerous, but we've been bad in division play when normally we were very good in division play. So if you want to have a chance in hell of getting over 500 you got to start playing against the division better and what better time to start than against against the mets it's just we're in june at this point we're we're getting to late june yeah we're getting to the end of june we're coming up on the all-star game and i haven't seen anything from this team to make me think that things are going to turn around like uh i don't know when the trade deadline is was in i know it's in july
1: july 31st like it's been for the last 35 years okay fine
0: I'm not thinking very clearly because I'm going from the emotional high of the Hawks and I'm drinking liquor and then I'm going to the sort of mediocrity that is the Braves and I'm just, I'm not seeing the worm turning. I'm seeing contributions from people. I think Freddie's once again picked it up. Acuna's still been great. ozzy has been very good offensively. Um, Abraham Almonte, outstanding. You know, He's hitting fourth. Riley's still doing pretty solid uh the rotation's done well we didn't talk about charlie morton turning in a damn near no hitter the other night
1: your boy drew smiley did the same Drew
0: smiley has pitched very well over the last two weeks he's done he's done very well so you know we're getting contributions from people we're starting to see people contribute um either in a more in in a more consistent way especially morton and smiley that's really huge that they're starting to get their shit together particularly morton morton looked like playoff charlie morton the other night i mean that was that was a great that was a great outing but the bullpen and the way Snickers utilizing the bullpen is a mystery. And I don't know. Like, I just don't have any faith in them until they can turn around. And Shane Green just still doesn't look like he looked awful yesterday. I think this is, what, his fifth or sixth appearance?
1: He might have needed more time at Triple A.
0: Yeah, maybe they, I think they rushed him up because the bullpen's such a disaster.
1: It's like, I mean, we've seen it like when Keichel came up and he was terrible at first after like sitting out a couple months. It's like. It's kind of consistent. No one, no one's gonna just miss spring training and two months of the season, right? No matter great. what
0: off-season yeah. stuff they're doing. I,
1: I will say though, I had a lot more confidence in Shane Green getting out of that inning than bringing in Sean Newcomb. Hell yeah! Especially, Especially after, after got he got, got a really out.
0: lazy fly ball in the, for the second out, I was like, okay, finish the job. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh man, um, you know the batter that was coming up. I can't remember his name, but I remember the stats. Because someone on Twitter pointed that out that the guy was hitting two ninety. Dominic off. Smith. Dominic Smith's hitting two ninety off of lefties. It's, it's and I'm like, why is Newcomb in the game?
1: Oh, it's also like Stinker forgot that doubleheaders are seven innings and like he was acting like he had to like really spread his bullpen out yeah, a lot. It's, it's like crazy. Like in seven inning double headers, it's like you use two, three pitchers, man. Yeah,
0: you're guys you normally use in the seventh, eighth, and ninth, you're using in the fifth, sixth, and seventh. Yeah. It's pretty fucking basic, man. I mean,
1: come on, Snit. And a conversation that we haven't had on this podcast that needs to be addressed mm. is Major League Baseball cracking down on the use of um, sticky substances, right. I suppose, to for pitchers.
0: So I watched a fascinating—after that was announced, I watched a—and a fa- and the reason this has been done is there have been a, a multitude of, of no-hitters. There's been like five or six no-hitters this year. A lot of people are complaining about the the style of the game and how the game is being diminished by, by pitchers just dominating. The home run strikeout. Like, yeah, it's pretty much that's what it is. Yeah. Home run strikeout walk. That's like what we're getting. And I think it's absolutely foolish, re- regardless of how good or bad the game is, to do this in the middle of the season. I mean, one of the examples of this is Tyler Glasnow of Tampa Bay Rays. I watched an interview with him where he explained it. He said, look... I use sunscreen, something, I don't know. It was it was legal. It's sunscreen and rosin. Sunscreen and rosin. Legal substances, as the rules stipulated before this change came. And he basically said, like, that changes how I am gripping the ball. That changes how hard I'm gripping the ball and where I'm gripping the ball and all this stuff. And he said he tried to just, when he heard that this was going to happen, he tried to do, you know, no substances or anything like that. And then he injured himself and he's going to be out for probably the rest of the year. The UCL... Injury, so I think um, to do this now is a really stupid idea by Major League Baseball. Like, you know, just, just do it after the season if you're going to do it, but don't interfere with how pitchers have been pitching for the last two and a half months.
1: Well, it's not just the two. I mean, they've they've been doing this for the last three decades. Okay, like, well, there you go. That's so, even worse so, than something. So, but I mean, but I'm just talking about for this year to do it. Oh yeah, doing doing it mid season is, is very is, is really it's, dumb. it's very silly and. Once again, I was listening to uh, 755 is real, and Eric Flaherty had great insight on this, being an ex-major league pitcher, and he was just saying, "Yeah, cut, cutting down on this, what's it called, like spider tack or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like pitchers were definitely going too far with it and using substances where like you can just like hold, have the ball in your hand, and it's not like moving, and with, with your palm open, you know. Mm-hmm. So, but like the rosin bag." And sunscreen, like that, is just like the basic of what you need in order to like have any sort of grip on these baseballs. They're so slick, and the seams are so much smaller than anything that's like used in high school baseball or college baseball. That is something I've noticed because
0: I have a, a couple of uh, major league baseballs, and I have many like pony league balls and high school balls and stuff like that from my time as an umpire or a player when we were kids. And it's incredible how the seams of the pony ball. So much thicker than the seams of the major league baseball. Right. It's just even. I mean, I haven't got a major league baseball since twenty sixteen. As the last major league baseball, I got a foul ball at Turner Field, and and I, even then, I was like, God damn, this ball is slick. Yeah. I missed the ball because the ball was so slick in my hand. Like yeah. I, I, I dropped it. I had to pick it up. But it was. Um,
1: so yeah, it's it's a totally different ball game. So he was saying that it's good to, that they're cutting down on like the spider attack and the other substances like that, but to Say you can't do anything it's just crazy, and so anytime you get a guy now like AJ Minter who last three four starts, I mean three four appearances have been really bad. You got to wonder is that is that why? So like doing this mid season, it, it it is pretty nuts. Ian Anderson had a couple really bad starts. Is that why? Could I be. mean, uh, who knows? I, I've seen the number of probably eighty five to ninety percent of major league pitchers have been using something like this. Yeah, so I mean, I I agree with the idea of like cutting like it it has been a rough game to watch recently. Yeah, the the strikeout walk home run scenario is so frustrating. I think that also
0: goes back to like the way these players are uh, pitchers are conditioned to throw. Everybody's throwing 100 miles an hour. Like remember, we played that um, we're playing the Cardinals last weekend. And one of those guys that's throwing like 89. I can't remember who it was. I think it was um, Kim for the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. He's throwing like eighty-nine is his four seamer. And it's like you don't see that anymore. The minimum is like ninety-four. Like I don't see anybody throwing below like ninety three, ninety two, like Josh that ring. Josh Tomlin. Yeah, but he's like a Reagan era pitcher at this point. I mean he's been in the league for like thirty years. So it's like the majority of players are throwing the ball ninety five plus. That's gonna contribute to your increased strikeout count. And it's just the game has devolved to this thing where everybody's a flamethrower and you're either going to – and it makes it a lot harder for the hitters. Even last year when people were hitting, you know, crazy home runs because the balls were all corked up and whatnot, it was still like you're still getting a shit ton of of, of strikeouts and walks and home runs, and that's all you're going to – it feels like that's all you're getting.
1: Yeah, so Kevin Seitzer, the Braves hitting coach, he's talked about it this year. He was a really good hitter back in like the 80s uh, with the Dodgers maybe, I think. Um, and he was saying there's no way in hell that he would be able to hit in the current major leagues, which is with how nasty these pitchers are. So it is just a different game and I guess we got to get used to it so but I agree with like you know the major leagues cutting down on like the legitimately illegal substances, but keep the rosin and damn sunscreen in there or whatever you I mean pitchers have to be able to hold the ball. And I think it all comes
0: back, like I was saying, to the conditioning of the pitchers. The pitchers have been told, you've got to throw 100, you got to throw 90, whatever. And it's led to a lot more Tommy John surgeries and the degradation of, of, of players' careers and the degradation of the sport in general. It's not as, I, I'll admit this year I've really started to notice it more than ever. Maybe it's also because I'm having to look for other things to think about when I'm watching baseball now because the Braves just aren't very good. But yeah, it's become a bit more of a boring-ass game. And I usually don't think that about baseball. Usually, I'm very interested in this in the pitch to pitch strategy, what the count is. If it's two and one, how are you approaching a guy? If it's two and one, how are you approaching a guy? Oh and two, how are you approaching a guy? Now I'm more thinking about can someone hit the fucking ball, which I never thought about in my entire life watching baseball. I love baseball. I love how slow it is. I love the strategy. I don't think about that anymore. When it's oh and two, I'm like the guy's gonna strike out or whatever. You know, it's 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 just it's 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 there's not as many. The strategy is, is is limited now because of, of the way pitchers have been conditioned. I think it's, a, it's the biggest problem and base, for baseball to say, but also to go back to it for baseball to say, screw the pitchers, is a problem too. It's not the right answer. It's not the right
1: answer. And it, it'll, it'll probably be uh, kind of coming back to the middle point as far as, because a lot of it is on hitters approach as well. You don't see guys choking up trying to just slap it the other way. And that's a good point I you haven't know? talked
0: about. You're exactly right. Hitters have been conditioned. you got to hit home runs all the right. time. So, you got to swing for
1: the fences. Like you don't see a Martin Prado who never swings at the first pitch and is just going to battle you and just wear you down. You don't see that anymore. No, and except
0: I, unless you watch the Dodgers. The Dodgers are like the only team that does that, it feels like. But, yeah, you're right. I, so you're exactly
1: right. Th- th- that's, that's part of it, too. So it, it, it'll come back around, I believe. Bad conditioning on both sides, pitchers and hitters, yeah. Yeah, but it's the game. Still love the game. Sure. Still love the Braves. Sure. The Frustrating to watch right now, but fortunately we got the Hawks and maybe the Braves will have their shit figured out by the time the Hawks season ends and hopefully like a month and a half.
0: Yeah, Anthopolis did say in an interview with The Athletic that they have more money now to work with because of attendance. Braves' attendance is top five in baseball since um, attendance was allowed back. So I'm surprised we're not number one. I think we're number five right now. Let's hope that Anthopolis goes out if he says he has more money to work with, he's not just saying that. Because he knows people are going to latch on that. So he better use it and fortify this bullpen or it's going to be a very, very long season.
1: And I mean, he said, he, we need an outfielder. We need another bullpen piece. And he would like another starter as well. Go get it, AA. Go get Sterling Marte from Florida, please.
0: Out from Arizona. Oh, no. Sterling Marte. Yeah. Yeah. You can also
1: get his bro Ketel Marte. Arizona. So that would be a bigger trade. Yeah, that would. Are they actually brothers? I think so. I did not realize that. Yeah. Also question that you're correct about that. I feel like I heard that somewhere. There's a lot of Martes out there. There are. But
0: I would love Cattell, especially because he's younger. But yeah, regardless, bullpen needs, to, I think, even though I like either of the Marte brothers, if they are brothers, we really, really got to gotta get this bullpen figured out. We need, we need uh, more... More help there it's it's such a disaster still a disaster i think that wraps us up here folks we hope y'all are doing well out there we've got a big series to hopefully uh hopefully win we're gonna leave you with a few words from our coach nate mcmillan our god emperor as the uh, hawks reddit has proclaimed him and uh we hope you take this to heart and uh apply it to your own life it's actually pretty great words to live by
1: I, I, look I, I respect the hell out of you guys respect the hell out of you man because it's all about what we've been talking about that this I told you from, from at the beginning of the uh before we went out you were built for this you were built for this moment man. for being calm and being connected and taking this game it's the same thing you did in New York we gonna stay in hungry yes sir we're gonna stay hungry Yes, sir. Okay, and we're going to do what we do out on the floor. Hell of a job. Hell of a job. Hell of a job. There's still work to do. Okay? There's still work to do. Respect the hell out of you guys. Appreciate you guys, man. Okay, good work.
0: Believe on three. One, two, three. Believe
1: Let's go. Let's go. Get you some Hawks.